Uh, let's turn to, first of all, to Hebrews in chapter 3. <clears throat> One of the <clears throat> things we see in the book of Hebrews is a contrast between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. And as you know, that's one of the things I've majored on for what, nearly half a century. Mainly because, number one, because it changed my own life. And secondly, because I find very few Christians have really understood it or been gripped by it. And the tragic thing is that Many who have heard me speak about it on many times also are also not good by it. That's the sad part of it. Because you can listen to something and it may not grip you. So please listen carefully as we read in Hebrews in chapter 3. Holy brethren, partakers of a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. He was faithful as Moses was. And then he's contrasting Moses with Jesus. And thereby the followers of Moses, which is Old Covenant, with the followers of Jesus, which is New Covenant. And he says the difference is something like this. Uh, Jesus, verse 3, has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses just like the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. We can't imagine ourselves being greater than John the Baptist. And yet, he says here that the least person, I mean, even if you think you're the least, the absolute lowest and least person in, in the church of Jesus Christ, which is the kingdom of heaven, if you think you're the least, he says even you have the Potential to be greater than John the Baptist. And in trying to understand the new covenant, I try to think about that. What does that mean to be greater than John the Baptist? Greater opportunities to glorify God and greater opportunities to develop in our life than John the Baptist. There was a limit to how much John the Baptist could grow spiritually. Because even though the Holy Spirit was upon him and anointed him, he did not have the Holy Spirit within him. And there's a lot of difference between having the Holy Spirit upon you and within you. A person can cast out demons and heal the sick and preach powerfully. And at the end of it, Jesus said, In the final day, the Lord can say to him, I don't know you. You did all this, but depart from me, go to hell. Yeah, it's amazing how you can be anointed and go to hell. The first example of that is the devil himself. He was called the anointed cherubim, the anointed cherub, the anointed angel. And he was thrown down from heaven. So, We must, you know, many people seek for some external gift of the Holy Spirit, some anointing to speak in tongues or to preach or heal the sick or something. You can do all that and go to hell. It's far better to have the Holy Spirit within. And I think that is the contrast the Lord is drawing here between John the Baptist and the least person who really enters into God's kingdom who has the Holy Spirit within. And I feel most of God's people have not valued the Holy Spirit coming in their heart, have not sought for the Holy Spirit to fill their inner life. And that's why they remain in such a pathetically low condition. So I want to say to you, dear brothers, that it is not God's will that we should remain in that low condition where we're always, you know, thinking only in terms of what I can do or serve instead of thinking of what I can be. It's much more important to think of what we can be by the power of God than what we can do. 
Many people say, I want to do something for the Lord. Dear brothers and sisters, at least from today onwards, think more in terms of being, B-E-I-N-G, being something for the Lord than in doing something for the Lord. Being means being more Christ-like, being more Christ-like in your home, in your conversation especially. It's far more important to be more Christ-like in our conversation than to be the most powerful preacher in the world. I, I would choose that any day. I said, Lord, help me to be Christ-like in the words I speak in ordinary conversation with my wife, with my brothers and sisters, than any gift of preaching, any day. Because the gift of preaching is an anointing. It's a service. Whereas my mouth speaks out of what comes from the heart, Jesus said. It's not how well you can preach that determines how spiritual you are. I Please remember this. It's not how well a preacher X can preach that determines how spiritual he is. Many people are deceived by this. They see a person preaching very powerfully and they think, oh, he's a great man of God. No, I don't say that. He may be like John the Baptist, the greatest preacher of all. And yet the least in God's kingdom can be greater than him. I don't know whether all of us believe that. I don't think you do. I think many of you may still be admiring great preachers and wishing you could preach like that. Dear brothers and sisters, let me urge you to think from today onwards more in terms of being than doing. Being is a million times more important than doing. Doing is the old covenant. Think of all the fantastic things they did John the Baptist did great things, paving the way for Christ's ministry. But he did things, but he could not be. And one proof of that is that even after he saw the Holy Spirit coming upon Jesus, and even though the Father had told him, the one on whom you see the Spirit dwelling, that is my son. In spite of that, when John the Baptist was in prison, he began to doubt. And he sends a message to Jesus saying, are you really the Messiah? Would you do that if you had seen the dove descending on Jesus and the voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved son, if you had heard it yourself and um, if God had spoken to you directly that that is my son, would you doubt it afterwards? I'll tell you, you may say, no, 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 I'll never doubt it. I tell you, you will doubt it if the Holy Spirit is not within you, like John the Baptist. John the Baptist was a better man than you and me. But he doubted it because he didn't have the Holy Spirit within. So that is why I say seek much more for the fullness of the Holy Spirit within than for any gift of the Spirit. Gifts of the Spirit are use, are very useful. I have earnestly sought for the gift of teaching, for the gift of prophecy. And it's very, very useful. If I didn't seek for it, I wouldn't have it. I wouldn't be able to bless people with, with my preaching. But... It's not as important for me as being. Because I know it's from being that the teaching can flow. So that is why Jesus, what Jesus meant saying that the least person, the absolutely least person who is filled with the Holy Spirit in the, in the kingdom of God, who may have no gift of preaching, who has no gift of preaching, who cannot speak for two minutes in an anointed way, is greater than John the Baptist. Very, very important for us to understand. We can sit in a church or look at Christians and think that the, the most gifted people are the greatest. No, they are not. Who is the most valuable person in your church? Whoever is most Christ-like. Believe it or not. That And that opportunity comes to every one of you. You can't all preach like somebody else. But what's stopping you from becoming more Christ-like, especially in your own home and especially in your speech? So, all this arises from our understanding of God's relationship with us. We know that John the Baptist could never look up to heaven and say, Dad, Father. He could never say that. Moses could never say that. Not a single person could say that till Jesus came and looked up to heaven and said, Father. He was the first man who could look up to heaven from this earth and say, Father. Of course, he was the son of God. But the wonderful thing is, 
that he told us, when you look up to heaven, you must also say, Father. I wonder whether you realize the tremendous privilege. The, the Romans chapter 8 says the Holy Spirit has come within and cries out, Father. Now, there's a lot of difference. Let me tell you this. Let me show you this verse in Romans 8. Romans 8 and verse 15, it says, The Holy Spirit from within cries out, verse 15, saying, Abba, Abba, a correct translation, Abba will be Daddy. Abba is a Hebrew equivalent of what, if it's translated into English, it is Daddy. Romans 8, 15. The, we have received the Holy Spirit, last part of verse 15, as sons, not as slaves, which cries out, Daddy. I want to ask you, my dear brothers and sisters, have you felt that in your heart or some, has somebody educated you saying, hey, call him daddy, call God daddy, call God father, like you have to tell some small boy, call, call him. Or have you found the Holy Spirit within you crying out, dad? If you have only been educated by somebody quoting a verse to you, saying, hey, this verse says your God is your father, now call him daddy. And you say that. In a time of crisis, you will not turn to him as daddy because you've been educated to call him daddy, but you don't know him as a daddy. There's a lot of difference between knowing someone is your dad and being educated to call somebody dad. You know, supposing somebody's adopted a child who grew up in some other home and you come to this new home and you teach that child, now call this person dad. He's adopted, you know, he's your dad. And he has to tra- train himself to call himself dad. But the child that's born into that home doesn't have to be trained. He says dad from a young age. He says daddy. That is what the Holy Spirit does. And I want to ask you whether this verse, Romans 8.15, has been fulfilled in your life. We have received a spirit of adoption means the word there is of being placed as sons. Not as we understand adoption today. Of being placed as sons. By which the spirit makes us cry out, Daddy, Father. And that is so much different from the Old Testament people who just say, Oh God, Oh God. Now, I know this is all elementary. But the test of it is when you face a trial. The test of it is when you come into some problem. Then you will know whether you have to remember a verse to comfort you at that time. Oh, Romans 8.28. All things work together for good to them that love God. So I presume that this also must be working for good. I'm not too sure about it, but I presume it's going to work for my good. There's a lot of difference in that. And you're facing a situation and spontaneously crying out, Daddy. It's like a little child who suddenly faces a difficult situation and cries out, Dad, help me. That is the cry of a person who's got the Holy Spirit within him that spontaneously Tells him, listen, your dad's in heaven. I want to ask you, my brother, I wish every one of you would be gripped by this. Just like a child would spontaneously turn to his dad in a tough situation, that we would turn like that to our father in heaven and say, dad, I'm your child. I know you care for me. And for that, you need to understand how much he loves us. You've probably heard me say many times, because I have said it many times. That my favorite verse in the Bible is not John 3.16. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son to die. That whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's a great verse. In order to be born again. And I, I loved it in the early days. But many years later when God filled me with the Holy Spirit. Another verse became more precious to me in the whole Bible. To me it's the central verse for me in the whole Bible. And that's John 17.23. And if you haven't heard me say that before, you can hear it now. John 17, 23 says in the last part, the Lord says, I want the whole world to know. And I apply it to myself. God wants the whole world to know through me. First of all, that God sent his son. And secondly, that this father who sent his son loves me just like he loved his son. Son Jesus. 
equal. I'm absolutely convinced. I didn't believe that for 16 years of my Christian life. Or oh, 17 or 18 years, I don't remember. But I remember those 17, 18 years. I mean, of course, I knew God loved me. If someone asked me, uh, do you believe God loves me? Yeah, I've got verses to quote it. Right? And there's a lot of difference between quoting a verse. And if you ask a person, uh, does your dad love you? Oh, he brings out his birth certificate and says, the birth certificate says, I belong to this dad of mine. So I, I presume he must be loving me. That's how we quote a verse. That's not the way to know God's love. That's not the way a child knows God's love. And if you know it like that, my brother and sister, you're missing something. And in the time of trial, we say we must remember this verse. There are books, for example, which verse to, uh, if, you're, if you're needing this problem, look for this verse. For this verse, for this problem, look at this verse. But a little child doesn't go around with a book like that. He's got a dad. He doesn't need any book or verse or anything. He just turns a dad in any situation. And that should be our reaction. And we can have that reaction only if we are absolutely convinced that God loves us as he loved Jesus. But let me qualify that. I don't believe that every person who calls himself a Christian can claim that. In John 17, what does he say? Let's read very carefully verse 23. I in them, Father and you in me, that they may be perfect in unity with each other and with me, then the world will know that, Father, you sent me and that you love them as you have loved me. Who is the them? This is referring to one group of people called them, they, them, they. I want to know if I'm in that group. I can't just jump in there and say I'm also part of that. No. Let's find out who it is for. You turn earlier in that chapter. Uh, this is the prayer, the Lord's Prayer. And he says here, I am not praying for the world. Verse 9. Here's the them. Who are this them? I ask on their behalf, This, these 11 people who are sitting with me here at the Last Supper, I do not ask on behalf of the whole world, but those whom you have given me, so they are yours. To them, that you have loved them. We are trying to define the word them. The them is those whom the Lord chose to be his. So these are, who are these 11 people sitting there? Who, to whom the Lord says, I want the world to know you 11 people that the Father loves you just like he loved me. That's what Jesus is saying. Picture the Last Supper. 11 of them sitting there. He's telling them, I want the world to know that the Father loves you just like he loved me. Now my question is, how do I put myself in that 11? Can I join that group and say that applies to me as well? Yes. If there is a big if. That if the Lord calls you to follow him, you will follow and obey. That means you want to be a disciple. Like I'm not saying you have to give up your job. Yeah, you give up your job, the Lord calls you to. But I think the Lord calls one in 10,000 believers to give up their jobs. The other 9,999 people must stay in their jobs. So I'm not talking about giving up your profession. I'm talking about obeying when the Lord tells you to do something. That is the thing I notice. He, when he called them, leave your nets, he left their nets. They left their nets. In the boat, when he told Peter, throw your net on the other side, he threw the net on the other side. And you see that again and again. When he, whenever he told them to do something, they did it. And that is, even, you know, distributing the food to the 5,000. Make them sit down in groups of 50. They went and did that. Now give me that bread. Go and distribute it. Here were people who had submitted to the Lordship and the authority of Jesus, that whenever the Lord told them to do something, they say, that's what I'm going to do. I don't care. No one is going to stop me. 
even when Jesus' mother came outside, when they saw this big crowd, this famous preacher, Jesus Christ, somebody came to him and said, hey, your mother is outside. And Jesus turns around. You know that passage. Who is my mother? Who are my brothers? Those who hear the word of God and do it. If you belong in that category, I want to say this verse is for you. But not otherwise. God wants it to be true for every one of his children. In other words, if the Lord tells you to give up something, you give it up. I'm talking about some particular sin, some bad habit. If the Lord tells you to do something, you do it. If the Lord tells you to pay your debts, pay it. If the Lord tells you, even if you have to live more simply, pay your debts and live simply. Don't buy that thing. Go and pay your debts first. There are very few Christians who obey all this. I'll tell you that. A lot of Christians take advantage of the fact that God is very merciful and he's good. And if I slip up, he'll forgive me. And those who take that attitude, they are fooling themselves that they can claim John 17, 23, that God loves me as he loved Jesus. I want to say he doesn't. There are certain people whom the father loves exactly like he loved Jesus. But it does not apply to everyone because everyone does not respond. They don't like these disciples did. So we need to understand when the Lord says that the world may know that you love them, John 17, 23. Be careful to ask yourself whether you fall into that category of the them. Compare it with verse 9. I'm not asking for these worldly people. I'm asking for these 11 people who are utterly obedient. to me. Be in that category, dear brothers. Because then there are many promises in scripture which will be fulfilled for you. Uh, let me show you some of them. Matthew chapter 6. You know, there's a phrase that Jesus often used. Two words. Much more. The new covenant is much more blessed than the old covenant. There are many more blessings in the new covenant than the old covenant. Much more. So, let me just show you some of them. Matthew 6 and verse 26. Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow, they don't reap. They don't gather into barns, and I can add to that. They don't have a bank account. They don't have any earthly resources to fall back on. Yet your heavenly father feeds them. You've heard these words many times. And then he says the word much more. Are you not worth much more than them? And the Lord is saying that in the context of verse 25. Never be anxious for your food or clothing or earthly needs. We have many earthly needs and the Lord recognizes with all the insecurities of life. We have earthly needs. Everybody has, his children have, and sometimes we can go through tight situations. But you are worth much more than the birds in the air. And then again, he uses that expression in verse 30. What about the grass of the field and the flowers and all that? People just mow the grass and throw it away. Won't you are know, worried about clothing? Don't you think he'll clothe you much more than he clothes those flowers? Again, much more. Food, clothing, and shelter. Those are the three things man works hard for. And God recognizes our needs. We must remember the Lord's much more. I'll tell you something. It's a wonderful thing to be totally committed to say, Lord, whatever you tell me to do, I will do. I may slip up and accidentally do it wrongly, but I'm committed to do it. You know, sometimes a person may be willing to be obedient to something you want him to do, but he may not do it perfectly because he doesn't have the skill. So sometimes we don't do things perfectly because we don't have the skill, but that's different from willingness. The Lord not asking you to for skill. For example, if I'm a new person working in a factory and I'm totally willing to be obedient, 
but I may not know how to operate some of those machines or to program a computer. I'm willing, but I may bundle up and make a few mistakes. It doesn't matter. It's the willingness that the Lord seeks for in our life. Not whether we do something perfectly, but are you willing? That is the question. And if I'm willing, then I fall into this, this category of the them whom the Lord will provide for. I need never, never have any fear about the Lord providing for me. I can tell you that. I mean, I've been in full-time Christian work now for uh, 55 years. 55 years. And I've never depended on a human being for my needs. And even though sometimes the going was rough, my Heavenly Father always provided for me. If I was satisfied with the little he gave at times, sometimes he gives more, sometimes he gives less, but I never coveted more. I never said, Lord, I want more. I can honestly say that in God's presence, that I never went to God and say, I want more. I said, Lord, I'm happy with whatever you provide. Whatever it is. And you can take away or you can give. I will be happy with what you give. And I can tell you, food, clothing and shelter is always provided for me for 55 years. And he will provide for you. Don't depend on the security of your job. Depend on the security of a loving father who loves you just like he loved Jesus. When Jesus stepped out of the carpentry shop at the age of 30 with a whole nation against him and uh, people were ready to accuse him and call him the devil and all that. He didn't have a group of people supporting him financially like today's missionaries have people who promise to support them. Jesus didn't have anything like that. And yet, he, he was okay. He lived without a fear or a worry whether the boat was about to drown or whether people took him to the edge of a cliff to throw him down. He was totally secure. Totally secure because he knew that his life was in his father's hand. Even when people came to capture him. I, very often I look at this verse in John chapter 7. John chapter 7, we read of a time when people were sent to capture him. But they could not capture him. Um, It says in verse 44, they wanted to seize him, but no one could lay hands on him. And the reason given is his time had not yet come. That's all. The time for him to be crucified had not yet come. That's all. And that comes a couple of times. You read the whole chapter, you'll see it. His time had not come. They could not touch him. The same thing in Luke chapter 4 when they tried to throw him down from the cliff. Yeah, his time had not come. They could not throw him down. And if I can have this assurance that my father loves me like he loved Jesus. Jesus did not step out of that carpenter shop into an insecure situation. And I'll tell you, if you seek to live in that total obedience to your heavenly father, whatever he tells you to do, just make a commitment to the Lord. Lord, I will never go back on this. At any time you tell me to do anything, I'll do it. You tell me to give up some right of mine, I'll give it up. I will not... Hold on to anything. I will not hold on to possessions or property or get into a fight with any relatives or, you know, the number of believers who get into fights over division of property. (laughs) I decided long ago I would have absolutely zero interest in that. They can have it all. I'm not interested in it. I have a father in heaven who owns the whole universe. Why in the world should I try to get a share of some inheritance on earth. I'll tell you my brothers and sisters, be like that and you'll find your life is much more at rest and you will experience some of these promises that are found in scripture. And I want to show you now another one of those much more. Matthew chapter 7 verse 11. Matthew 7 verse 11. 
If you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? You know, number of times Jesus used much more, much more than the birds, much more than the flowers, and much more than any father will give for his children. Always, your heavenly Father will give you much more than that. Turn with me to another another verse. It's not only the good things. Here's something that will balance us out. Matthew 10, 25. You've got to love this also much more. Much more than the flowers and much more than the birds and much more than any earthly father would give to his children. In Matthew 10, 25, in the middle of that verse, if they called Jesus, the head of the house, the prince of devils, ah, much more they would call you the members of his family. So I, you know, and I read that years ago. I said, Lord, how do I know that I'm a member of your family? I have to be maligned. You know the meaning of being maligned? That's the word used there in verse 25. Evil spoken of. If I'm a member of Jesus' family, according to this verse, people will speak more evil of me than they did about Jesus. So I say to Christians who are greatly respected by the heathen, I'm not talking about being respected within the church. I mean, the disciples thought very much about Jesus. He's talking about outsiders. He's talking about outsiders who call him a prince of devils. What do outsiders think of you? That's been the question to me. What do people who are not disciples of Jesus think about you? If Jesus was maligned, spoken evil of, much more they will speak about of me like that. But I must be addressed when somebody spreads some false story about me or somebody tells a lie about me or somebody tells something which is absolute untruth or accuses me falsely about something I never did or never said or never intended. Well, much more. So this much more has got this side and that side. Don't forget. Then I want to show you another verse. I was studying this about where all Jesus says much more. And here is another one where Jesus speaks about how his father, he's talking about healing someone. And they question him, how can you do that on the Sabbath? And Jesus said, if your sheep falls into a pit, won't you pull it out? How much more valuable is a man than a sheep? What I learned from that is, sheep is property. And the Lord says, a human being is much more value than any amount of earthly property. That's how God values it. I mean, if you go to some billionaire who's got loads of money and a lot of property. If he's got one son, that son is more valuable to him than all that property. And that's how God looks at me. I believe that. That's how God looks at Jesus. I'm more valuable to God than the whole universe. I don't know whether you believe that. I do, and that's why my life is at rest. I don't live in anxiety about tomorrow, about whether I'm going to have health or when I'm going to die or I, I, I never, I tell you honestly, I never even think of such things because I know I'm more valuable to God than the whole universe. I mean, he who runs the universe runs my life. I'm loved just like Jesus is loved. It's when I was first gripped with this truth that uh, I wrote that song when bowed with burdens and with care and your soul is in despair, you don't have to fear. God is very near. He loves you like he loved his son. And he will help you to 
And one of the verses I wrote was, as he cared for Jesus, he will care for you. That really gripped me when I wrote it that, you know, I was living in an insecure world, insecure financially and insecure in many other ways. And it gripped my heart that as the father cared for Jesus, he will care for me. My dear brothers and sisters, I wish you'd be gripped by this so that you can teach it to your children in the trials of, that they will face in their life. He will care for you as much as he cared for Jesus. There's no greater truth that will bring comfort to the hearts of your children. But if you're not gripped by that yourself, you can't communicate it to your children. Much more and much more valuable to God than all the property in the world. But then you see the question comes to us, then why does God allow us to go through so many trials and difficulties? Some of the trials that Jesus went through are written in the Gospels. But I believe there are many, many other trials he went through which are not written in the Gospels anywhere. In fact, in John 21, it says, if there are the last verse of John's gospel, this is how the four gospels ends. You know, John is the fourth gospel. And the last verse of the last gospel is, there are many other things which Jesus did. John 21, 25. Which, if they were written in detail, I think, the whole world itself would not be able to contain the books that are written about what Jesus did. That's amazing. I say, Lord, what all did you do? Even in those 30 years at home, what all you must have done? And the Bible says that when the Holy Spirit comes, he will take of those hidden things. John 16, 14, great words. John 16, 14. The Holy Spirit will take of those hidden things in Jesus' life and show it to me. And he has shown me many, many things like that. Like when I was a young man and I was tempted in my thought life, I asked the Holy Spirit to show me how Jesus resisted those he had the same temptations when Jesus was a young man of 20. And the Holy Spirit showed me how Jesus resisted them. And I said, that's what I've got to do too. Or when people threatened Jesus' life or did all kinds of things. The Holy Spirit has come to show you when Jesus was in a similar situation. This is what he did. The Bible doesn't say that Jesus was faced all the circumstances we have faced. No. But it does say he was tempted, Hebrews 4.15, great verse that changed my life, Hebrews 4.15. He was tempted in every point exactly like us. But he did not face all our circumstances. He never had a difficult drunken father. He never had a difficult wife. He never faced thousands of circumstances we may face. That'd be impossible for one human being to face every single circumstance that every other human being in the world faces. But Hebrews 4.15 says, he was tempted in every single point as we are tempted. He may not have had a drunken father. So the way a person is tempted by the harassment of a drunken father, Jesus was tempted in the same way in some other situation, not with a drunken father, but in some other way. But he faced the same temptation. So I can tell that boy with a drunken father who's harassing him and beating him. I say, dear brother, Jesus never had a drunken father to harass him and beat him. But whatever temptation you are facing right now in that situation, Jesus was also tempted in some other situation. That's the thing that blessed my life when I was gripped by it nearly 45 years ago. That there is not a single temptation I can ever face in any circumstance that Jesus never faced. He faced it all. And he overcame. 
And I, through the years, I've asked the Holy Spirit to show me, you know, there's a promise in John, I told you that verse in John 16, which the Lord says, the Holy Spirit will take up mine and show it to you, disclose it to you. Disclose means reveal something that is hidden. And that, that's the word he uses in John 16, 14. He will reveal it to you. He'll disclose it to you. Something that's hidden, the Holy Spirit will take it and show it to you. If you are serious to walk as Jesus walked. We are called to live with a much higher standard than people in the Old Testament. Let me conclude with this verse. Hebrews chapter 11. This is one of my favorite passages, which shows the difference between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. Hebrews 11, there's so many wonderful things here. They passed through the Red Sea, split open by the power of God. Verse 29, the walls of Jericho fell down. The sun was stopped in the sky. Lions' mouths were shut, verse 33. Many amazing things. Some of the great miracles mentioned here from the Old Testament. And then he says in the New Covenant, verse 40, God has provided something better for us than all of these things. Never read Hebrews 11 and say, oh, I wish I could experience that. I wish I could experience a lion coming in front of me and its mouth being shut. Or I wish I could experience a sea being split open for me to walk through or a wall being coming down by faith. And God says, that's nothing. I provided something better for you. That's what it says in Hebrews 11.40. God has provided something better and I praise God with all my heart that I have something better than all that. And that better thing is mentioned in the next four verses. Chapter 12, verses 1 to 4. You know, it is man who divided up the Bible into chapters. And if I were dividing the Bible into chapters, I would put these four verses as the last four verses of Hebrews 11. Hebrews 12, verses 1 to 4 should be Hebrews 11, verse 41 to 44. That's my conviction. It's a pity, real pity, that whoever without discernment split it up over there so that people don't see the connection. I never saw the connection for years. Because, you know, we have the habit of reading a chapter and then we close the book. The next time we open it, we don't see the connection between what we read yesterday. God has provided something better for us than all these things listed in the first 39 verses. And that is that I can, verse chapter 12, verse 2, fix my eyes on Jesus and endure the cross in my life like he endured it and despise all the shame that comes into my life for being a Christian like he faced. Is that something better? How many, tell me, how many Christians have you met who really believe that taking up the cross and following Jesus is better than shutting the mouths of lions and healing the sick and raising the dead and all the things listed there, splitting a sea open. I believe it. I believe it because I've experienced it in my life. Not splitting Red Seas open, but taking up the cross numerous times in a day. It is a better thing. Because every time I do that, you know what happens? Let me show you. Second Corinthians chapter 4. This is a great verse. It's been one of my favorite verses for more than 45 years. Hebrews 4, uh, sorry, Second Corinthians 4, verse 10. Always taking up the cross. Not every day. Jesus said, take up the cross every day. But here it says, 24 hours. Always. Always taking up the cross means always in my body. I carry that dying attitude of Jesus. Death to self. Death to self. 
death to self, 24 hours, you wake up in the middle of the night, death to self, early morning till late at night, in every situation, death to self. You know what will happen? So that the life of Jesus becomes manifested in this body. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. But he shows you the way of death, but he won't push you into the cross. You have to accept it. And say, take up the cross here. There are many, many situations where people have told me about some complicated situation. This, uh, they ask me, Brother Zach, what shall I do? And I give them one, one word answer, die. Many situations, I say, my answer, die. Die. That's the answer. So are you facing some complicated situation today? Here's my answer to you, die. You'll overcome it. There'll be a resurrection after every death. I, I tell you, I've experienced it. There will be a resurrection wherever you choose to die. Jesus chose the cross and the Father raised him from the dead. Jesus did not raise himself up from the dead. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that. It's just like when you go into waters of baptism, you submit yourself to death in the waters of baptism. You can resist the man who's baptizing you. But if you submit yourself, you cannot raise yourself up. Somebody else raises you up. The meaning of baptism is very symbolic. You submit to death, God will raise you up. I guarantee in every situation, you bear the dying of Jesus in your body, the life of Jesus, the resurrection life of Jesus will be manifested in you. And that is why it says in 2 Corinthians 4.11, we are always delivered over to death, 24 hours. So that 24 hours, the life of Jesus can be manifested in our body. Do you believe that it is God's will that 24 hours a day, the life of Jesus, the reactions of Jesus, and the words of Jesus become more and more manifest in you? If it is not like that now, don't get discouraged. Just say, Lord, I want to be honest. It's not like that now in my life, but I want it to be like that. Just say that. I, Lord, I want it to be like that in my life. Where I choose to accept that death that comes my way throughout the day or the middle of the night. And I believe the life of Jesus will be manifested in my mortal body. This is not when we go to heaven. My mortal body means my body here on this earth. Second Corinthians 4.11 Much more than any person in the Old Testament could experience it. Much more than Moses or Samuel or Daniel or any one of them, more than John the Baptist. I can experience and you can experience the life of Jesus. So the new covenant is much more. One last verse, Luke 11. We conclude with this. Luke 11, verse 13. Again, a much more. If you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children. Here's the answer, the solution. How much more many of you are fathers and mothers you know how readily you sacrifice and give good gifts to your children? You deny yourself and give good gifts to your children? Well, the Lord is comparing his love for you with your love for your own children. How much more, how much more your father will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? You can't do it on your own, brothers. I tried for years and I failed. But when the Holy Spirit came, it was different. Ask for the Holy Spirit. Yearn. Jesus said, you got to thirst. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. If you're fed up with your defeated life, you feel that some of the things you heard today are not true in your life. I want to say to you in Jesus' name, please listen to me. It can be true in your life. If you can give good gifts to your children, how much more the Holy the Father will give you the Holy Spirit. Yeah, I know you've heard that many times and you say, oh, well, I've heard that before. I hope it will come to you in a living way today. That you say, Lord, 
I want the Holy Spirit's power in my life. Even though God filled me with the Holy Spirit long ago, I still keep kept praying and I've experienced that a number of times. I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. That is the answer. It's the greatest blessing in the new covenant is not forgiveness of sins. Forgiveness of sins is cleaning the cup. When a thirsty person comes to your house and you want to give them a cup of tea or a cup of coffee, you don't just clean the cup. You fill it with the liquid he wants and give it to him. And I want to tell you, the forgiveness of sins is only cleaning the cup. It would be frustrating if I only got that. God wants to fill the cup with the Holy Spirit. So the forgiveness of sins is only the cleaning the cup. Then he wants to fill it. Why do we go away just with a clean cup? Lord, fill me. Fill me to such an extent that it will overflow through me to other people. Eagerly seek it, my dear brothers and sisters. Eagerly seek for a life where the cup will overflow. Like David says, my cup overflows. God bless you. Let's pray. While our heads are bowed in prayer, and bow our heads in prayer and you say, Lord, put a hunger in my heart for the Holy Spirit that will never, never die out. A hunger and a thirst for more and more. I, I, I still hunger and thirst for more of the Holy Spirit in my life. I want to be a blessing to more people in the world. I'm not satisfied. I want much more, much, much more. I want rivers to flow from me in many, many directions. I'm not satisfied with what I've experienced. I want to live for God and I want to live for other people to bless them. Heavenly Father, please help everyone here. I believe there are sincere people bowing down right now and seeking you. Please give them an assurance as you hear their prayer as they cry out to you. I pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. 